First uh, Corinthians. First Corinthians and uh, chapter 12, and then we're going to funnel that right into chapter 13 tonight. First uh, Corinthians chapter number 12, and uh, we're going to begin in verse number 31, and then roll right into chapter 13 through verse number 3. So once you found it, I ask if you would, out of respect for the reading of God's Word, would you stand with me tonight? I believe very much in what we do. Church matters. Church matters. This thing matters. And I appreciate you being here with us tonight. First Corinthians Chapter 12, beginning in verse 31, and again, then we'll go through to chapter 13, verse number 3. I invite you, would you read in unison with me together tonight? The Bible says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Father, tonight I pray as we look into your word that you'd help us. Help us, I pray, on this Wednesday night when many of us are probably still tired from the holidays where, Father, many of us are in the middle of this Ohio winter and we long to see the sun that we have not seen in a while. And, Lord, it weighs on us a little bit. Help us tonight, I pray, to have an unusual focus. Help us tonight, I pray, to have an unusual attentiveness that we might both hear and heed everything you'd have for us. Lord, we want you to meet with us tonight. Our hearts truly do hunger and thirst for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but I really do love New Year. I really do love the New Year. It's almost as good as that new car smell. Am I right? The New Year, it naturally lends itself to evaluation. And really, it naturally lends itself to an eagerness for new goals and for new growth. Now, here's the thing. Not crazy goals. I'm too old for that. Believe it or not, there was a time in my life uh, where one of my goals was to run an Ironman triathlon. That was a dumb goal. Uh, And no, it didn't happen. And so that is not on my list for 2023. Uh, If if it's on yours, more power to you. But I tell you, the new year is a wonderful time for evaluation. It's a wonderful time for for new goals, for new growth. I loved having the opportunity to look over uh, the notes from Pastor Josh's sermon on Sunday morning to see those nine questions for a better 2023. And really, even as I read over the questions, it really challenged me to think about some of those things in my life. Now, here's the thing, church. It's good for us to evaluate. It is good for us to be eager to grow. It is good for us 
to have goals. If you're not ready to evaluate, if you're not eager to grow, if you don't have goals, let me tell you, you're really not pursuing Christ like you should. Because spiritual people should have spiritual goals. Spiritual people should be growing spiritually and scripturally every day. This thing of evaluation, of growing, of goals, of all that, it's good for us personally, and it's good for us corporately as a church. So I wonder tonight, how, how do we want to grow this year as a church? Just think about it. How do we want to grow this year as a church? What do we want to accomplish this year as a church? How are we going to be different at the end of this year as a church? You know, we could, we could list this and this and this, and we could put up charts, and we could put up graphs, and we could have plans and proposals and programs and details. But tonight, I want to key in on something that Paul said there at the end of chapter 12. He said, yet I show unto you a more excellent way. I want us to consider tonight how we can live this year a better way. Now, we understand what was Paul's point. Paul's point was love. Paul's point was love. The more excellent way, the better way, is love. We gotta stop here because that is a misunderstood thing in this day and age. So consider first tonight, if you're taking notes, the explanation of love. Paul wrote, verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Uh, we can understand that, but we are coveting earnestly. We are striving earnestly after the best gifts, he says, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Church, this better way is love. Understand tonight with me the explanation of love. We have to know what we're dealing with because not all love is the same. In English, we really have one word. I might tell my brother at Christmas, I love you, bro. I might tell Brother Barry at church, I love you, my brother. I might look at Marco's Pizza and say, I love pizza. I might look at Christopher and say, I love you, Christopher. I might look at Amy and say, I love you, Miss Amy. By the way, not a two of those are the same. Not a two of those are the same. Now, in English, we have the one word. And we use this one word to mean all sorts of different things. And it's important that as we talk about love being the more excellent way, that we know what we're talking about because not all love is created equal. And because there's a lot of garbage out there claiming to be love that is not. Can I point out, first of all, that when Paul says that love is the more excellent way, he's not talking about self-love. By the way, this is the garbage that our culture is enamored with today. Self-love. 
Self-love. It is full of self-love. What is self-love? It is just a new face on an old thought called humanism. Whereby man makes himself to be God. Man makes himself to be the standard of all things. This this self-love that we have now, what is it? It says, well, I accept me for who I am. I am just fine the way I am. Or I determine who I am and what I am. All that garbage out there, it's garbage. It is all garbage. Well, I just accept myself and I have determined that today I am this. Tomorrow I might be that. It's self-love. Boys call themselves girls and girls call themselves boys. 700-pound people call themselves fit Students go on strike because they believe in university that they all deserve straight A's. This is really happening. Why? Because they have made themselves the measure of all things. They have made themselves, their feelings, the standard for what is right and what is truth. It is self-love. It is garbage. It is not true love. It is not this love. So let's Park right there and nail it down. They can fly their rainbow flags all they want. They can say, love wins, but they don't get to have that word. They don't get to hijack this truth. Because that is not love. It is self-love. It is lust. It is not love. And church... By the way, the church, the house of God, ought to be the pillar and ground of truth. So we better be ready to stand for what is truth. So this is not self-love. I'll move on to things that are, anyways. This is also not romantic love. This is not family love. This is not we're all in it together, brotherly love. When Paul talks about love being the more excellent way, he is talking about divine love. The Greek word here is agape. It is divine love. It is the willing, sacrificial giving of oneself for the benefit of others without thought of return love. Let me say it again. It is the willing, sacrificial giving of oneself for the benefit of others without thought of return love. This love, this divine love is rooted in what is real. This love is rooted in what is right. This love is given without thought of return. It is gentle. It is generous. It is gracious. This love takes the initiative. This love doesn't wait for you to love me before I love you. This love doesn't wait for you to be lovable before I love you. This love takes the initiative and it's always impactful. By the way, I know when we say, well, when or if they, then, dot, 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 that ain't this love. If it's contingent upon them, it ain't this love. This love is willing to bear hurt that it might be a help. Oh, let that sink in. Because how many people we've put walls up in our lives? How many people we've written off, we've written out, gone. This love is willing to bear hurt that it might be 
a help. This love, this divine love, is the love that the Father has for his righteous Son. John 17, 26, Jesus said this. He said, I have declared unto them thy name, and I will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus acknowledged that this love, this divine love, this agape love, was the love that the Father had for the Son. Well, you say, well, that's easy. But I tell you this, this is also the love not just that the Father had for his righteous son. This is the love that the Father has for the rebellious sons of Adam. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. An everlasting life. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, we were not lovely. We were not lovable. We did not love him first. We did not seek him first. When we were without hope, when we were dead and doomed in our sin, he loved us. That's this kind of love. This is the love enshrined in the Lord Jesus. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse number 4. The Bible says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. This love doesn't arise from our feelings. This love doesn't always coincide with our natural inclinations. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse number 44, look at this verse, but I say unto you, read it. What are those next three words? Love your enemies. That's not phileo. That's not brotherly love. That's not be, <clears throat> that's not be peaceable with all men. That is agape. That is that we ought to willingly, sacrificially give ourselves for the benefit of others without thought of return. Love your enemies. That tells me this, this love is not based on feeling. This love is not bound to my natural inclinations. Because this love seeks the best for everyone. By the way, church, this love is commanded of us. Therefore, I know that this divine love is our choice. Sometimes this love comforts. We mourn with those who mourn. Sometimes, though, this love confronts. Paul had to look at the Galatians and say, Am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? Sometimes this love confronts because it is bound by what is real and by what is right. By the way, it's good for us to acknowledge that sometimes helpful is hard. Sometimes helpful is hard to hear. But it still needs to be said. Sometimes helpful is hard to do. Helpful is not always received as such. And yet it's still right to do. I remember when, they, when I got my cancer diagnosis, I was in denial. Absolutely in denial. The doctor had to tell me some hard things. And I wanted to look at him and say, man, you're out of your mind. I don't need this. I don't need to be here. I don't need to do any of this. Love's not always easy. 
Because helpful is sometimes hard. But this divine love is giving oneself to seek the best for another. And church, we can't afford to get that confused. There's a lot of garbage out there claiming to be love. And I'm going to tell you more and more, they're going to look at the church and they're going to say, aren't you supposed to be loving? We are. We are. And I pray that we am, or we are, however you say that in English. Leslie, help me. We are. But the fact of the matter is that if I don't look at somebody in their sin and say, turn to Jesus and get saved, that's not loving. If I say, you know what, I pat them on their back and say, you're okay, go on in your delusion, and they die and go to hell, tell me how that's loving. I pat them on the back and say, you know what, it's fine, just keep doing your best. Oh, don't worry about that sin, it's not that big of a deal, and they destroy their family. Tell me how that's loving. More and more, the world's going to point their finger in us and say, well, that's not very loving. But they don't get to determine what that word means. They don't. There's a lot of garbage out there claiming to be love. But church, this is divine love. This is the love that God shows to us. And the love that God wants to show through us as well. And so we see then an explanation of love. But I want you to see 1 Corinthians 13. Let's read those first three verses together. I'll read them. You can follow along. Paul said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me, what's that word, church? Nothing. We've seen the explanation of love I want us to see, secondly tonight, the emptiness without love. I want us to see, secondly tonight, the emptiness without love. You know, Paul here, he begins to list some of the things that the Corinthians were seeking for. Remember chapter 12, verse 31, he said they are earnestly seeking the best gifts. What were those gifts they were seeking for? He begins to talk about some of them there in chapter number 13. They were, uh, these were, what were the things that the church at Corinth were seeking for? These were their goals. These were the areas that they wanted to grow and become more accomplished. They wanted, verse number one, the gift of communication. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. How cool would that be? At the drop of a hat to be speaking French or Italian or Spanish or Chinese. I think about how awesome that would be just to be able to walk into a room and talk to whoever's there. It would be all right, wouldn't it? I took too long off. This thing don't fit my head no more. The gift of communication. That wasn't the only gift they were seeking for. Verse number two, we see they were the gift of comprehension. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, boy, they had the knowledge down. And they understood what God was doing. 
They were seeking that gift of comprehension. Ooh, gift of confidence. Not in a negative way, but in a faith way. That Verse number two as well. And though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. I've always wanted to have that kind of confident faith in God. Again, faith, it's not the amount that you have. It's, it's the object of the faith. It's the object of the faith. But you know, to have that faith, to walk up to the mountain, and say, be cast into the midst of the sea, and there it goes. And to, to know God is going to do it. How awesome would that be? They wanted the gift of confidence. We see communication of, of comprehension, of confidence, of, of compulsion and charity. Though I give all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, the gift of consecration, to be so committed to Christ that I willingly step into the fire and just let my body be consumed. Boy, those, are, those aren't bad things, are they? Those are good things. I, I mean, those are necessary things. And I love it how Paul describes them in, in what I'll call hyperbolic fashion. Or he exaggerates them to the most extreme extent. In other words, these are, these are good gifts and good goals. And he takes them to such an extreme as is not really humanly possible. When he talks about, don't get all hung up on the tongues of men and of angels. It's hyperbolic. He's saying, if I could even do that, whatever that might look like. He talks about giving all my goods to feed the poor. I've known some generous people, but I've not known anybody give their last pair of drawers away. Right? It's, it's hyperbolic. I, I've known uh, of some people in history who were burned to death, but I've not known anybody who, who willingly asked and stepped into those flames. It's hyperbolic. It's the extreme. If we could have the absolute extreme of all of these things that you're seeking after, how awesome would that be? Paul said, you're wrong. It'd be empty. It'd be nothing. Because the greatest gifts and the greatest goals and the greatest growth that we can hope to accomplish in this life is empty without love. It's empty. The greatest gift without love is empty. Now I want us to stop here and think because we are a very gifted church. I truly believe that God has gifted us in this place. God has gifted a, a number of men to be able to stand behind this pulpit and say, thus saith the Lord. And uh, I don't think we're the bee's knees or anything, but I, I do think God has blessed this place with, 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 with men who are capable communicators of God's word. I think about the giftings that we have, whether it's the communicators of our, of our pastors and teachers, our Sunday school teachers, our bus workers. I, I, I think about... I think about our musicians. I mean, God has gifted this place. You show me another church in the middle of cornfields and soybean fields that God has gifted like this. I listened, uh, my mom and daddy's church didn't have church on Sunday night on New Year's Day. And so I listened to Harvest over the radio. I tell you, Mrs. Wire, I know I texted you after, but man, that was powerful. 
What, what a spirit-filled song. What special that was Sunday night. It was powerful. I love listening to our orchestra. God has blessed this place. God has gifted this place with tremendous musicians. I, I want to see our music program go on and grow and be even more impactful. God has blessed us with skilled laborers. This preacher have to watch a YouTube video to know how to change a light bulb. Sometimes that's the truth. George, I remember when I was a new homeowner, I had to do some drywall repair. So I went out. I knew I had to get me some drywall tape. I spent 30 minutes trying to find the sticky on the drywall tape. There ain't no sticky on drywall tape. That's a true story. Well, that's the thing. See, God has blessed this place with skilled laborers who know how to get these things done, who know how to change light bulbs and patch walls and put in doors and, and all of those different things. God has blessed this place. God has blessed this place so abundantly. God has blessed this place with servants, with people who just show up and say, Preacher, what needs to be done? I'll do it. What needs to be done? I'll do it. We, we couldn't do a third of what we do, except this place is filled with people who just want to serve God. We are a gifted church. But the greatest gift without love is empty. The greatest sermon, the greatest Sunday school lesson, the greatest jail presentation, the greatest special music... The greatest labor, the greatest service without love, it's empty. It is empty, it is empty, it is empty. It profits me nothing. The greatest gift without love is empty. Church, we've got to be careful. Because the greatest goal without love is empty. I love that God's given us vision here. I love God's given us big dreams. You know, this year, Charles, how many Johns and Romans are we going to put together to put, put out in our community? <clears throat> 15,000? We're going to put together 15,000 Johns and Romans with the goal of getting them out into our local community. We bought them. Golden apples, we're going to put them together. And then we as a church are going to go into Clyde, Green Springs, Bellevue, and Fremont. They're going to get Johns and Romans. They're going to get the gospel. We're going to get the word of God into our community. Why? Because God's word doesn't return void. It doesn't return void. Big dreams. I, I believe with all my heart, God's going to let us start a church one day. That God's going to bring a man, bring a family. We're going to have the opportunity to work with and train him up and send him out to plant a church where there is no gospel preaching witness now. I'm going to tell you, not a lot of churches want to do that kind of thing. They're, they're very concerned about keeping what they, uh, getting all they can and canning all they get and, and keeping it all nestled in. We want to see the kingdom built. We want to see men called. We want to see families go out and do the work of building the kingdom of God. Seeing souls saved we got some big goals. We've got some wonderful goals to see souls saved, to see saints sanctified. But here's the thing, 15,000 Johns and Romans distributed without love. It's empty. It's empty. 
The greatest gift without love is empty. The greatest goal without love is empty. The greatest growth without love is empty. You might memorize the entire book of Hebrews, be able to push your glasses up on your nose and recite it word for word. That'd be a wonderful thing. I don't mean to belittle that. But the greatest growth without love is empty. We could pack this place out Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We could have a thousand people in here. Not really. That, that would not fly with the fire department. But uh, we could have a thousand people in here. And it could, it, could be, it could be rolling gangbusters on like Donkey Kong, all those different things, uh, going wild. But I'm going to tell you, the greatest growth without love is empty. The greatest gift without love is empty. The greatest goals without love are empty. The greatest growth without love is empty. Man, I find it interesting here. Even the greatest goodness without love is empty. Paul references basically feeding the poor and helping the poor and, and giving our body to be burned. We, we could have the greatest, the, do the greatest good from a worldly standpoint. We could provide meals for people in need and, and we could help people who need help. And we have the RU ministry seeking to pull people out of the bonds of addiction. We have the bus ministry going around seeking to reach boys and girls, moms and dads. And we could be seeking to do all of this good, but if if we do all this good and we do it without love, here's the thing. It is absolutely empty. Church, remember, none of this is wrong. All of this is good. All of this is necessary. We need to use our gifts. We need to have goals. We need to grow. We need to do good. But while we plan and prepare and practice and push May we never forget there's a better way. There's a better way. We've seen the explanation of love. We've seen the emptiness without love. Jump down, if you would, to verse number 13 of 1 Corinthians 13. There the Bible says this, Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these... Is charity. Would you notice with me tonight, number three, the elevation of love. The elevation of love. Again, all of these other things are good. All of these other things are necessary. All of these other things need to be a part of our lives. We, we need to be doing them. But there is an elevation that is given to love. The greatest of these, Paul says, the greatest of these is charity. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 puts it this way. Now the end, meaning the conclusion, the whole thing that we're building to, uh, the, the end of the commandment is charity, is love. Out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of a faith unfeigned. You know, here's the warning, here's the exhortation for us tonight. The warning is that it is possible to be so in love with gifts, growth, goals, and goodness that we fail to love through them. The danger is that we be so in love with the gift, with the goal, with the growth, with the goodness that we fail 
to love through them. The Christian life must be lived in Christ-like love or it ceases to be the Christian life. It really is that simple. The Christian life must be lived in Christ-like love or it ceases to be the Christian life. We see the elevation of love here in Corinthians. We see it in Timothy. I want you to notice the words of Jesus, the command of Jesus, John chapter 13 and verse number 34. He said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. What's the standard? As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Here's the beautiful thing about that. If we love one another with divine love, If we love one another like Jesus loves us, we take the love that we have received of him and we allow that love to be lived through us to others. Here's the thing. If you and I love like he does, then all the other stuff will work itself out. I mean, it really is that simple. If I'm going to love like Jesus loves, then tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. What's it going to take to upset the apple cart if we're all loving like that? The question is, are we loving like that? We see the elevation of love, not just in the command of Jesus, but we see the elevation of love uh, really in in what uh, Jesus was writing to the church at Ephesus. You go to Revelation chapter 2, and I want you to look at this with me, beginning in verse number 1. Jesus here is writing this letter uh, to the church at Ephesus. He says, And unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. This is the Lord Jesus who, who that's picturing. He said, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And has borne and has patience and for my name's sake hath labored and has not fainted. He said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. He says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. And do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of its place except thou repent. In other words, Jesus said they had lost their love for him and unless they got that love back, they were going to lose their light. They were going to lose their influence. They were going to really lose everything about them that made them a church. Did you notice how busy they were though? Go back to verse two. The first part of verse two. There we go. I don't know about you, but I identify with this here at Harvest. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst bear them which are evil. There was a purity to them. They've tried those that say they were apostles and were not and found them liars. There was a discernment there, verse 3. And then they worked some more. They born in patience and labored for his name's sake and is not fainted. I mean, some of you guys have been at it for decades. Some of you have been serving the Lord Jesus in this church or a church of like faith longer and not been alive. Turned 36 a couple weeks ago. It's all downhill from here, right? Man. Yet in verse 4, he says, 
Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. I'm going to tell you, this is a good one for us as young people and old people alike. You know, so often we're focused on what we're doing with our hands. What we're doing, what we're doing, what we're producing, how we're, how we're working, how we're involved, what's going on. Here's the thing. The Lord does see what you do with your hands, but he's far more concerned about what's going on in your heart. I'm going to tell you, those of you who've been at it for a long, long time, the Lord has seen what you have done with your hands. But don't rest on what you have done with your hands and make that an excuse for your heart not being where it needs to be today. Because here's the thing. If we don't leave our first love, if we choose to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, here's the thing. The rest will work itself out. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to keep pressing on for the Lord Jesus. Love is what it needs to be. Church, we can have all sorts of goals. Hey, New Year's a great thing, isn't it? I love goals. Hey, read your Bible this year. Read your Bible through in a year if the Lord leads you to do it. Read a book. Learn a new language. Pray more. Have a prayer journal. That's one thing the Lord's challenged me with. I tell you, Brother Barry... This is oh me of little faith, all right? I'm, I'm going to confess here. I'm going to confess. Please don't think poorly of me. But I had a big prayer request. And I thought, man, this is a big prayer request. This is like one of the mountain moving things. The Lord said, make that the first request in your journal. I said, Lord, it's a big request. How about you and I just pray about it, all right? How about you and I just talk about it? The Lord said, write it in your prayer journal. I said, Lord, how about I just pray about it with you? I know you can do it, Lord, but I don't know about making that. You, 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 I, like I was giving God an out. And then he answered the prayer. Exceeding abundant above all that I could ask or think. And then the Lord looked at me and said, you can't put it in now. It's over. So, <laughs> oh, Man, have a prayer journal. I, grow. Not all of your things have to be spiritual. Many of your things should be spiritual. Date your spouse. Love them, spoil them, have family activities, get stronger, get healthier, overcome that stronghold, be a better soul winner, get on better standing financially, have some goals, grow this year. But if life is lived without love, let me ask, what's it really going to yield? What's it really going to matter? There is a better way. If I'm going to have one goal, if I'm going to have one area of growth this year for us as a church, oh, we're going to have a lot of goals. I can't wait to talk to you about them. But if I could have one, I want it to be that we as a church are more filled with divine love than we ever have been before. I want it to be that we as a church function in divine love more than we ever have before. Because there is no better way than to be a church that loves like God does.